I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Having lived in the US for a while, I mean, identity theft is a huge problem over there. And there's lots of companies that are, you know, providing subscriptions for credit monitoring and identity protection and that kind of stuff. This is a pretty big problem. And, you know, hopefully the companies that are in that ETF have a better chance than average, I think, of, you know, doing above average revenue over the next few years, at least, as they try and help governments and companies and individuals combat, you know, the cybersecurity problem. Welcome back to the Equity Investor Journey, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. I'm Phil Muscatello. Today, I'm welcoming Stephen Mebb, who is a professional investor and an ASA monitor. G'day, Stephen. How's it going? G'day, Phil. Really well, thanks. How are you? Oh, I'm very excited about this new podcast, I've got to say. It's, um, it's just great to be doing some work for the, the Shareholders Association, who we both, um, I think we've both fallen in love with them, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think it's terrific as well, Matt. And I'm, you know, I'm hoping lots of ASA members get you know, lots of good information and ideas out of the podcast. I think it's terrific that uh, you know, ASA and, and you are doing that for the members. So today we're going to be talking about exposure to international markets via well-chosen ETFs. But uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background and what you did before becoming a full-time investor. Yeah, so I am, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm on the tender age of 44 at the moment. Um, and my executive career has been in the footwear business where um, I worked for, you know, a couple of different companies in Australia when I was younger and then um, with some Aussie business partners took a... Uh, a footwear brand over to the US in 2007 and um, it was just before the GFC so our timing wasn't great but uh, we just kind of decided to stick it out and uh, and try and launch the business even through that period um, and then over the next you know 12 or 13 years we, we built Vionic uh, which was the brand name up into one of the top 20 footwear brands in America which was fantastic, um, really enjoyed it. I lived over there for, for about 10 years. Um, and then in 2018, we sold the business to one of the big publicly listed footwear groups over there. Um, and that gave me, you know, a nice chunk of capital to, um, you know, to do something with. So for the last couple of years, I've, you know, basically become a full-time investor and, um, you know, really focused on trying to learn as much as I can. And, you know, ASA has been a huge part of that journey. I've, you know, learned a lot and been to lots of events with the Queensland team in particular. We've got a great team up here of conveners, Rima and Alison and Jill and Don and all the team. And um, I've been to lots of meetings and learned lots. And, you know, I'm sure we'll continue to learn lots going forward. So what was that first step that you took before you made your first investment? What did you do to um, keep yourself informed? 
Yeah, well, I'd, I'd actually, you know, read Scott Pape's book, The Barefoot Investor Book, and, you know, learned some good stuff out of that. Um, and then I thought, oh, well, you know, I, I don't want to put all my money into the market straight away. I'll, I'll start with, you know, little small amounts and just practice a little bit, so to speak, which is what I did. I, you know, made a few, um, you know, stock picks and uh, kind of tracked how that was going. And then, you know, as I kind of did more of that, I kind of built my confidence and saw how the results were were going as I was tracking it and, you know, just, you know, then started to dollar cost average, I suppose, and put more money into the market each month. So, so yeah, ASA has been a huge part of that for me though because I've learned, you know, so much from going to the meetings and talking to other members that, you know, I wouldn't have got there as quickly on my own, of course. Wise and opinionated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of part of the, I think part of the... It's part of the fun of it, isn't it? You can yeah. test your thinking and, you know, get other people's point of views and, you know, even if you don't agree with them, it's you know, it's still good to kind of challenge your thinking or, you know, get you considering something you might not. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great process. Well, it's like um, I've, I've spoken with a couple of fundies on um, my other podcast and they have meetings and they often have quite robust discussions in those meetings where they're testing each other's uh, investment theses, theses out. So when you're an investor on your own, it's good to be able to have someone to chat with and uh, test your ideas out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I do think it can be a little bit lonely at times, right, investing when you're on your own and, you know, you're just at home or whatever. So it is great to, you know, get together with other people and, you know, chat about those things and hear some other ideas. So, yeah, terrific terrific to be part of the group. So we're going to be talking about uh, ETFs for getting into international markets. Why do investors need to consider international markets? Yeah, well, I, you know, I've thought about that a lot. Um, and I guess I'm fortunate that I had quite a bit of international business experience, you know, spending a long time in the States. And, you know, we also did business through Europe and Asia Pacific, um, you know, and Australia was actually one of our smallest markets, to be honest. Um, so I kind of learned a lot from, you know, doing business in those markets when I was in the footwear business. Um, and then subsequently, I've listened to, you know, what I think are some very smart people in Australia that focus on international um, equities and bonds, etc. Um, so I'd, I'd been to some meetings and listened to those people and learned a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I think some of the some of the stats that really got me thinking were, you know, just the rate of growth that's projected in Asia in the next 10 years. Um, you know, there's there's some pretty serious tailwinds behind, you know, particularly China and India. And in Australia, we get a lot of, you know, I think, you know, sometimes negative press about some of the Asian markets. But, you know, when you strip away the populist type rhetoric and look into the, the numbers, you know, the demographics and the amount of growth that's projected in, you know, Asia Pacific, particularly in the next 10 years, um, to me felt like uh, I wanted to at least have, have some of my portfolio allocated there. Hamish Douglas from Magellan, you know, I've heard him talk several times about China. They've got a lot of their, you know, fund invested in Chinese companies or US companies doing business in China. There's another really smart lady I listened to at an ASA event, Dr. Mary Manning from Elliston Capital, and she's a real expert on India. So I've listened to a few podcasts with her and learned a lot from her as well as hearing her at the ASA meeting. You know, that, that just got me thinking that I, you know, I don't necessarily want to have all my money in Australia. I mean, I love Australia and we've got a great, you know, group of companies here too. But, you know, about, lots of people would have heard this right, but I think it's about 40% of our markets made up of, you know, banks and miners. So I didn't want all my money allocated there. I, you know, I really wanted some of it to be in some of the, you know, the other types of companies that are changing the way the world operates that you just can't get, you know, directly in Australia. Well, for me, what really uh, brought it into focus was hearing a presentation from Emma Kirk from Magellan, where they were talking about a company like um, LVHM, which 
uh, investing through LVHM into the Chinese market. And, and um, I've actually had a good chat to Emma myself at um, oh, okay. at, a, at a meeting. And yeah, she's very knowledgeable. I yeah. went along to one of her presentations too. And yeah, I mean, uh, Louis Vuitton, you know, Moe Hennessy, I think it is, LVMH, right? And um, yeah, they're, they're at the forefront of taking advantage of um, the you know the rising wealth and consumption that's happening in China and you know her and Hamish have both you know talked about um, pretty much a tripling of what they'd call the upper class in China. I think the projection is that you know there's 50 million people right there right now that can you know afford a Louis Vuitton bag, but it's projected to go to about 150 million in the next 10 years, and then the middle class, which is more kind of like an average Western style level of consumption, I guess. I think it's about, you know, 150 million people right now and that's projected to go to 300 million. I might have those stats a little bit wrong potentially. It's just off the top of my head. But I know that, yeah, that that kind of growth over 10 years is going to, you know, assuming it plays out or even if it plays out at half that rate, it'll still be a much higher rate of growth and consumption than we're going to see in probably lots of parts of the developed world or the Western world. So, um, so I, you know, I like having some exposure to some companies there like Louis Vuitton and others that, you know, uh, uh, hopefully going to take advantage of that growth. So it's not very difficult to get into international markets anymore because uh, you don't have to go and set up an account, but you can do it with an ETF that's available on the ASX. Exactly. Yeah. So that's really how I've done it, Phil. And, um, you know, John Cowling, our great CEO at uh, ASA, he asked me to write uh, an article for Equity Magazine, which I did around this. So, you know, what what we're talking today about, you know, I think there's an article in last month's, the, the March issue, and maybe another one coming up in April that cover cover these ETFs that I've been exposed to. Um, but yeah, that is the point, right? You don't have to directly, you know, trade in America or China or anything like that. You don't have to worry about opening, you know, international accounts and foreign currency and all that kind of stuff. You can get exposure to lots of these things using credible, you know, trustworthy ETFs that are listed on our ASX. And and, and that's how I've done it. I've basically built a portfolio of seven ETFs that are all, you know, some of them are indexes that track the the really broad index. And then a few of them are themes that are, you know, trying to tap into some of the, um, you know, the growth stories in in these areas above and beyond the index. Um, And that portfolio has done, you know, really well for me. I'm, I'm, you know, beating it. I've been doing it for about a year and a half, two years now, and my portfolio is beating the the all odds by a long way. Um, and it, even through this, you know, big unfortunate tough downturn we're having at the moment, that portfolio is still up about ten percent um, through that you know year and a half, two year period. So it's been the best performing part of my investing so far, and you know I'm feeling obviously more comfortable and confident in in this part of my investing going forward based on the results so far. Well, it's interesting too that you've uh, one of the themes that you've invested in is uh, cyber security, and um, that that seems to be a very obvious thing where companies that inv- that are involved in that space uh, are in very high demand. People don't realise what's going on in the background, trying to keep f- systems and functions. Um, yeah, exactly. Keep, keeping them going. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, having lived in the US for a while, I mean, identity theft is a huge problem over there, and there's lots of companies that are you know providing subscriptions for. Um, you know, credit monitoring and identity protection and that kind of stuff. So we did that while we were there because we didn't want to get, you know, our data hacked and not know about it. Um, but, you know, then you you read about, you know, the last US election and, you know, other governments meddling in the US election. And I think to myself, well, you know, if the US government can't even protect itself against some kind of, you know, cyber threats, this is a pretty big problem. And, you know, hopefully the companies that are in that um, that ETF 
have a better chance than average, I think, of, you know, doing above average revenue over the next few years, at least, as they try and help governments and companies and individuals combat, you know, the cyber cybersecurity problems. So, you know, it may, it may not play out, but I just thought that was a, you know, a bit of a theme that, that I'd, you know, put a little bit of my portfolio into. And, um, and again, that's just an ETF that's listed on the ASX that has about 50 global companies that focus on, you know, helping companies and governments with that problem. Where, what, what is the, um, the ticker of that, uh, that ETF? Yeah, the code is called HACK, which is, you know, pretty good ticker for that kind of thing, <laughs> I suppose. I think it's a, it's a beta shares ETF, that one. And, yeah, the, the ticker is called HACK. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I obviously covered this in the article that I wrote for Equity, but um, it did pay a really big dividend last year. And I know a lot of people, you know, love dividends, as, as I do too, if you can mm-hmm. get them. But I did talk to beta shares about that. And the dividend last year was was a big part of it was realised capital gains. So they weren't as confident that that dividend was going to be the same this year. If you go and look at this and you think that's a juicy dividend, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be the same again this year, having talked to beta it's shares not sustainable. about it. Yeah, it was, it was a bit of a one-off, I think, as they realised some capital gains in the but, you know, it was still income and they still paid it out. And, you know, I was happy to take it last year when it came through. You'll take it anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the other um, ETFs you were talking about was a, a NASDAQ ETF and an S&P 500 index ETF. Yeah. So I did a lot of homework on, you know, how the US market's been performing against, you know, the all lords and, you know, as far back as these indexes or ETFs, you know, <laughs> have history for. And what was interesting was... The the um, S and P five hundred has outperformed the All Lords by about five percent a year, I think it is, over the last five years. Um, in terms of and this is all total return again, right? So including dividends for both indexes. So the S and P five hundred is beating Australia, you know, pretty comfortably for the last five years, and then the Nasdaq is actually beating the All Lords by about ten percent a year for the last five years. And when you think about why it's, you know, well, it's Apple and it's Facebook and it's Amazon and it's Google and it's, you know, Berkshire and all these kind of companies, that, that's what's in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ in, you know, certain companies. Um, so, you know, I've, I've allocated, you know, about 20% of that international portfolio to each of those two because they're really broad indexes. They're, you know, obviously very well diversified and you don't have to worry about picking the winners. You know, whoever the top 500 companies are in America, you're going to get that. With the S and P five hundred, and it's really low cost as well. I think the the um, management fee is about zero point zero four percent to actually have exposure to that S and P five hundred. So it's you know much better, obviously, than getting the same thing through a fund manager that might be one or two percent in that in that instance. So that's that's where I've got you know a good chunk of my money in those two US indexes. And how about the Asian ETFs? What are you looking at uh, in those? In, in Asia, I've got um, got a few different ones as well. So again, I've got a really broad index, which is Vanguard this time. So that the ticker for that's VAE. And that's uh, basically the top 1,200 companies across the whole of, of Asia. Um, so, again, really broadly diversified. Obviously, China's a big part of that. India's in there, South Korea, Taiwan, all those kind of things. Um, and, again, the management fees, you know, fairly low for that one. I think it might be maybe 0.4% or something like that off the top of my head. Again, it's in the article if you want to refer back to it. Or, or you know, any of these ETFs, you can do a really quick search online to just search the ticker code and then there's always a fact sheet for them that'll tell you what the fees are do you know the website etf watch i yeah i do it's really good yeah i i, I think yeah. i might have is it steve bull i think i might have listened to steve one of your podcasts with yeah. steve before which was great so yeah that is a great yeah. site to visit and you know check all the details so yeah i've got the vanguard really broad index and and what's interesting about that one is the pe ratio for that 
um, Asian uh, index is a lot lower than what Australia or, you know, the US average P is. I think it was maybe around 12 or something like that recently. Um, and also the rates of growth are a lot higher. So the, the companies in that index on average are growing, I think, about 11% per annum and the return on equity is really good too. I think it's around 14, 15% return on equity for those top 1,200 Asian companies as well. So it looks to me like it's really good value, I thought, compared to, you know, the US or the Australian indexes that were a lot, you know, a lot pricier than that for the rate of growth we're getting. Um, So that's a big one. And then I have a couple of, you know, more themed ones again. So there's one called, the ticker is called Asia and that's basically the top 50 technology and IT companies in Asia. And, and it's the equivalent of the Facebook, the Microsoft, the Google, etc. So it's Alibaba and Tencent and Baidu and JD, um, some Indian technology companies as well. So, so it really covers the kind of Asian versions of what we're all really familiar with in the US and Australia. Um, and that, that's held up really well actually through the the downturn we've been having too it's not off anywhere near as much as the the um developed indexes are so so i've been really happy with that and i I think again there's obviously good future growth prospects for companies that are in you know that part of the the economy um and then another one that i have is called c new is the ticker for that one that's basically kind of the nasdaq of china if you like so it's the top 120 companies specifically in china in the new economy so it kind of excludes banks and miners and financials and stuff like that and instead focuses on healthcare and it consumer spending consumer discretionary type stuff so so again that's done really well through the downturn as well and um you know Obviously, there's risk in all of these things. You know, if things suddenly went bad in China or the government changed the rules or something, then, of course, you know, you'd want want the option or you have the option to get out. But at the moment, my base case is that that's some good diversification for me and that, you know, hopefully most of those things are going to do as well or better than the All Ords does for me and I want some of my money allocated there. So just before we sign off, you're an ASA company monitor. Who do you monitor? Who have you got in your sights at the moment? Yeah, so I am am not um, an accountant by trade, you know, in in any way, shape or form. So uh, I've been trying to learn as much as I can about financial statements and accounting. And, you know, it's obviously really important for my investing as well, I thought, to to know that stuff. Um, So, yeah, I've I've recently joined the company monitoring team um, and, uh, you know, going through the process of learning, you know, how all all that works. Um, So I worked with a couple of monitors that are already existing monitors up in Queensland, Mike Sackett and, and Alan. Um, on Technology One, um, which is one of the, the really, you know, very high-performing Australian companies over the last 10 years or so. Um, it's an enterprise software business out of Brisbane. So uh, I assisted Mike um, with with that one and, you know, obviously met with the, the team and then the uh, attended the AGM and all that kind of stuff. Um and, uh, and going forward, I'm hoping to, uh, you know, to monitor a couple of companies working with Fiona in, in head office um, that have recently been added to the ASX 200 and we're not currently monitoring um, because I have holdings in both of them. So, so yeah, working with Fiona and hopefully at some point we might be able to start monitoring Jumbo Interactive and EML, which are, you know, n- new entrants or newer entrants into the ASX 200 that we haven't covered before. And again, they're both based up here in Brisbane. So, um, so you yeah, look, it's a great process, the monitoring, you know, from a personal point of view, I'm learning, 
you know, plenty going through that process. But it's also one of the great value propositions I think that ASA offers, right, that we're out there talking to the largest companies in Australia, meeting with management and then trying to represent retail shareholders, you know, in the right way with those uh, those companies. So I'm, I'm really happy that ASA does it and I'm trying to give back a little bit and help out there however I can. Yeah, keep them on the straight and narrow, hey? Some of these companies need it, don't they? Yeah, they need, exactly. They need the right exactly. incentives. I mean, look, hopefully most of them are good, but when they're off track, it's good to have someone like ASA to, you know, at least give them pause for thought and uh, and hopefully challenge them on some of the things they, they're doing that might be good for us. Stephen Mapp, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks very much, Phil. My pleasure and, yeah, appreciate all the hard work you're doing. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice as we don't know your personal financial situation, so you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.